Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. John felt calm. Welcome to the New Books Network. Mystery. With only three days in Paris, he knew not to tether himself to the World Congress on Psychiatry and Mental Health. At dawn, he started toward the Seine, righted by balanced, elegant architecture in the sing-song of blue-coated shopkeepers splashing water to ensure a clean start to the day. Whatever he had expected, the city held not the faintest echo of his German past. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network, and today I'm talking to Martha Ann Toll. Her debut novel, Three Muses, tells the alternating tales of John Curtin, who survived the Holocaust by singing for the commandant that murdered his family, and Katya, who was seven when her mother suddenly died, leaving her unmoored and confused. Only the study of ballet grounded her but she had no guidance and wasn't able to overcome the seductive power of the troupe's choreographer. Hi, Martha. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Galit. I am so happy to be here. Thank you. So the exhaustive education and lifestyle of a ballerina is one of the themes of Three Muses. Does it describe a part of your life? The answer is yes and no. I probably took my first ballet class when I was four. Uh, My mom enrolled me, and then I just got totally smitten. And so she enrolled me in the school for the Pennsylvania Ballet in Philadelphia, and I was just gaga. Unfortunately, I do not have a shred of ballet talent. Um, But what I got out of that was, first of all, I love the bar work. I love the feeling of warming up your body that way. I love the music, the way it intertwined with the dance. And I had the privilege of standing at the window the way Katya does, looking in the studio and watching the professors dance, the, the professional dancers rehearse, which is still thrilling when I think about it. So I fell in love at an early age and still continue to see as much ballet as I can. Mm. You've been writing professionally for years. How did you come to write Three Muses as your debut novel? Well, I think, I like many writers, um, my debut novel is not my debut novel. It's It's been a long apprenticeship. Um, I am a lawyer, and I worked in social justice for decades. And something happened to me when my mother died. I haven't figured it out yet, but the floodgates opened. Um, That was in 1999. And it was really a continuation of a writing passion that I've always had. My parents were both creatures of the written word. My mother was a professional editor and copy editor. My dad was really an inspired writer, even though he was a lawyer. 
And um, I started writing novels, just words just came pouring out. And I wrote um, very steadily and got a discipline where I was serious about writing um, not every day I have some children at home and a full-time job, but, you know, on a regular basis. Um, I faced, like most writers, a lot, a lot of rejections. I was able to get literary agents, but not able to sell any novels. And so along the way, I started writing reviews, book reviews, because I was reading anyway. And that was an incredible pleasure, both to share books with the world and to keep me a little bit sane, to get some stuff published while I was struggling to get my first novel out. Great idea. Is the New York State Ballet based on a specific company or did you invent it? I invented it. Ah, okay. John, your second character, remembers his early life, but he has no way to understand what's happening when he's forced to sing uh, in the Commandant home. Only many years later does he realize that his mother won by announcing before being led to her death during the Holocaust that he could sing. Can you say more? Yes. Um, And I've been writing and thinking about this a lot in preparation for my launch. There were parents, um, Jewish parents, who sacrificed their own lives and went to extraordinary lengths to save their children. And the way that John's mother did it was that she told as they were waiting in line, essentially for the gas chamber, she told the SS officer that John could sing and John is pulled out and survives by singing for the commandant of the camp where his family was murdered. Singing forever for him will be a totally fraught experience because it was the means to his survival, but also is symbolic of the murder of his family. We should also say he was called Janko then, not John. I, I call him Janko. And yes, Yanko. he was Janko until he came to America. And then in America, he was called John. Is Frau Koch a good person or just good compared to the commandant? So that is the German word for cook, Frau Koch. And she is the person who's charged with taking care of him and getting ready for him to sing for the commandant. And I spent a long time with her before I could answer that question. I think she had a big role in saving his life. She makes sure that he's fed. She prepares him so that he's not overly abused by the commandant. She protects him from the people outside. And she looks after him in a way that Yanko cannot understand because he's imprisoned there and because she's a very, very unpleasant person. But as I thought about it, the more that I spent time with her, I thought, you know, she may not be in that camp of her own free will. She had a huge job there with no help. It was cold. It was horrible. There was a stench of burning flesh. And so I think she's a complex person. And there was enough good in her to make sure that Yanko survived. Another complex person is Katya's Aunt Mary. She's she's kind, paying for Katya's ballet lesson is certainly generous, but does she make Katya feel loved? 
nobody's ever asked me that before. I have to think about that. I think she wasn't warm and fuzzy. Uh, she's a single woman, single Catholic woman in the 1950s, and she works for an attorney at law. So Katya initially really looks up to her because she doesn't know any career women. Um, so she definitely facilitates Katya's life, but I think Katya um, is is really raised without an incredibly nurturing adult in her life. She has adults who look after her and make sure that she gets what she needs. But she, but Aunt Mary isn't the warm and fuzzy type. Mm-hmm. Let's discuss Boris. When he pats Katya's bottom after giving her cab fare, I was hoping this would turn into a murder mystery. He's, <laughs> he's a troubling character, but a gifted choreographer. Why is Katya so smitten? And why doesn't she understand once she grows up that he was grooming her all that time. So I think we have a different vocabulary and means to talk about this now. Fortunately, we're still seeing grooming. We're still seeing a horrendous sexual abuse in the workplace. I don't think Katya had that vocabulary, and I don't think during the 1950s it was in the slightest bit unusual. Part of Katya's dilemma is that she lives to dance, and the person who can give that to her is the person who is grooming her, And a further part of her dilemma is that in addition to being a spectacular ballerina, she wants to choreograph. She wants to create dances. And she does do that with Boris Yanukov, but she never gets credit. And Katya, unfortunately, is like thousands of other women in, you know, still happening today, hopefully less, but who really were the power behind the throne, who were co-creators who got no credit. You know, people think that Einstein's sister did a lot of his, developed a lot of his theories. Felix Mendelssohn's sister probably wrote a lot of his music. I mean, women are very unsung and unfortunately we're very familiar with this. Mm -hmm. Boris is so secretive. Um, Katja never even learns where he's from, but she understands his vision. Why doesn't he talk about his past? I think he's a very repressed person. Probably he had a lot of damage as a child. And he his only place where he has any humanity at all is in the studio. He doesn't really have a life outside of the studio. And he lives to create ballets. And he doesn't understand the other parts of himself. He doesn't know how to love. He doesn't know how to love another human being. He doesn't even understand what drives him. He's um, kind of the opposite of the unexamined life. Hmm. John, meanwhile, has an affair with the receptionist, but realizes, this was funny, that he doesn't like the chaos in her apartment. So can you say, can you address that? that? That really bothered him. Yes. I mean, John, despite having arrived in America with no family because they were all murdered, comes from a very intact family and grew up in a very loving, nurturing household. So he, unlike Katya, has a model for what a home should be. And he has a he lusts after secretary Anne, but he doesn't really have an emotional connection to her. And it isn't really until he sleeps with her that he understands that. So I think seeing her in her element at home is somewhat alarming because it's his first clue that this maybe isn't the love relationship he was hoping for. So what is it about Katja that he falls in love with? 
Well, we can't always know this about the people that we fall in love with, but I think he feels some immediate um, affinity with her. And this is an irony because he is a psychiatrist and as a psychiatrist, he should know better that, you know, people with people present on stage is not who they are in real life, but he feels this incredible connection to her when she dances and when they finally get to know each other, she has an understanding of him that he has not been able to find since he emigrated to America. He lives with very loving adoptive parents, but in terms of a peer, he hasn't found a peer that he can talk to about the horrendous experiences that he's been through. Well, let's talk about Barney and Selma. They create a wonderful home and he's grateful. Does he ever, does he ever come to love them? I think he always loves them. I think he loves them the minute that he arrives, but they're not his family. They're an adoptive family. And the, the, nothing for John is without freight. The reason they were able to afford to adopt him and they wanted to adopt him is because their son was killed in action in Sicily during World War II, and they wanted to give the money that they had saved and the gift of their love to to John. So it's very, very beautiful, and, and they gave him completely gave him a new life in America, but he's very tuned into the, their own tragedy and what he represents in terms of their loss. And yes, I think he absolutely loves them. Mm. Um, John, in his as part of his training to be a psychiatrist, is required to have his own psychoanalysis, but he's troubled and annoyed with Dr. Roth. So did does John ultimately learn something about himself due to Dr. Roth's pushing him to remember the worst days of his life? I think Dr. Roth does two things. One is um, he makes John a tougher person and probably a tougher clinician by insisting that John get to the trauma. And when you have that level of pain, the easiest thing to do and perhaps the spontaneous reaction is to avoid it and to hide it. And Dr. Roth will not allow John to do that. He holds him accountable for his own pain. And I think ultimately that will benefit John because you, if you don't address it, you, you become paralyzed. And I think as John matures, we don't see him as an older person. I think he will come to realize that Dr. Roth modeled a type of therapy that um, he had to be creative about because John came into his office so incredibly damaged with such extreme, extreme trauma. And so there's a certain creativity in Dr. Roth's practice that I think John will learn from. Hmm. How did you come up with that? I don't really know. I do read about trauma and I feel that, um, it's just my general belief about pain. As humans, we are wired to avoid pain, but everything in my life experience and the life experience of those that I love is if you avoid it, you will get into a lot bigger trouble. It will leach out the sides. So I think that, uh, and, and I think my personality is kind of to go toward pain and, go, you know, embrace grief. I think it's, um, some of what we're put on earth for, it's the reality of living. And in my life, it's been more productive than trying to avoid it. And I think that's what Dr. Roth is, is trying to have John do. 
Oh, I'm glad you said so because I found it irritating. <laughs> because, uh, shoot, I would hate it too. Um, let's discuss your title, Three Muses. What do you have to say? Three Muses is um, a tradition from the Greek island of Boeotia that um, instead of having nine muses like the nine muses that we're more familiar with, this particular Greek mythology tradition had only three. And I stumbled across this, and suddenly I felt like I had a framework for a book. The three muses in this tradition are song, discipline, and memory. And I realized kind of immediately that song would loosely represent John, discipline would loosely represent Katya, and memory would be the most powerful because I think that, first of all, as Jewish people, our collective memory is hugely who we are and who we are becoming. So it's a very important part of um, our tradition. But also, I think that our early memories shape all of us, and both John and Katya have to grapple with our own memories. And Katya has a second set of memories that she thinks about and she worries about. And that is who will preserve the memories of her co-creations with Boris Yanukov. Hmm. Wow, that's true. Okay, so John, the song part, we see John struggling to perform for the commandant. And discipline, the second one you describe Katya slowly letting dance take her life, take over her life. And memory, well, both John and Katya dip into memories of a, a kind of before time when they had a whole family, right? Yes, they do. And I think for John, it was, I think for, um, I'm very interested in the irony that he fell in love with a ballerina whose only means of performance is with music or song, in other words. It's a total clash for John because he wants to avoid music because it is so evocative of his trauma, and yet he falls in love with a woman who makes her living essentially imbibing music. Mm-hmm. What's the message you wanted to convey when Katya performs the ballet without music? She wants to do this as a gift to John and she dances to this beautiful poem by Langston Hughes called April Rain Song. And she suggests to Boris Yanukov, and he takes her suggestion that this be a ballet without music. And this is her way to dance for John without evoking the trauma of music. Right. Because for him, it's trauma. Right. Ah, interesting. So this is, it, what an interesting book. So much richness there. What, Martha, are you working on next? So I am struggling <laughs> to finish the first draft of a very different novel. It's a surreal novel about a girl stuck in a John Singer Sargent painting. And I would say I have 90% of a first draft just struggling with that 10% and then it's going to need a massive revision. But right now I'd like it. I'd like to finish the first draft. What's the painting? The painting is called the daughters of Edward Darley Boyd. And it's a, it's a masterpiece of John Singer Sargent. It was done when he was 26 years old. And it's a painting of four girls in a Paris apartment. 
And where's it hanging now? In the Boston Museum of Fine Arts. Ah, wow. So interesting. Thank you again for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Galit, I can't thank you enough. I love your questions. This was such an interesting conversation. Thank you. And again, thank you for joining me. This is J.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today I've been talking with Martha Ann Toll about her debut novel, Three Muses. Hope you all have a chance to be immersed in a good book today and every day.